When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you run a business, Bank of Clark County has you covered. Offering cash management services to automate and simplify your business banking, streamlined digital banking, and merchant payment processing that's a one-stop solution. Plus, Bank of Clark offers corporate credit cards that help you optimize capital, organize expenses, and enhance your business. Whether you're looking to earn points faster or lower your APR, Bank of Clark County has the card that's right for you. Member FDIC. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or throws it, he's in. A backhander to save by Tony Esposito. Stan Makita was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Six seventy, the scores, hockey guy Jay Zawaski. Part of Blue Wire Podcasts. Game off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tape. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Rolling back, circle of drives, get it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Cincinnati Law Group. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, hockey fans. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only Jay Sawaski of 670 The Score and the I'm Fat Podcast. It's really a bummer, Jay. I was kind of hoping that the Blackhawks would make some news today, and yeah. you know, it was just kind of a boring pedestrian day. Kind of a slow news day, really. Yeah, nothing really happened except them uh, going out and acquiring Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets and signing him to an eight-year contract extension worth $9.5 million a season. I mean, other than that. Did that happen? Wait, they <laughs> traded for Seth Jones? Holy cow, I missed that. No, uh, obviously yeah, it, a big It was day. really swept under the radar. So many other <laughs> things going on. I was really looking forward to like doing a podcast with you, discussing all this news. Then the draft lasted seven hours. Really uh, great stuff from ESPN, too, in their uh, opening foray into all of this. I, it got better as the draft went on, but dang, that took forever. I don't know why it took so long. They were staying on the clock, from what I could tell. They didn't take a million commercial breaks. They didn't talk too long. I don't know. I think just the fact that it's a remote draft takes a really long time, and it's just awkward, and there's more stumbles than you'd predict. But anyway, let's not start there. The draft pick of Nolan Allen. We'll get you that in the second segment, but we've got to start with the big news of the day that James mentioned. Follow us on Twitter at Madhouse Pod, Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. We're on Facebook. Look us up. Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We just launched our T public shop with not just shirts of our logos, but some uh, NES ice hockey uh, inspired shirts that I think you're really going to like. 
check the link in our social media bios. Okay, so here's the full trade. If somehow you've been waiting to hear from us what the deal is. The Chicago Blackhawks acquired Seth Jones and the number 32 overall pick in the 2021 NHL draft. That pick became defenseman Nolan Allen from the Prince Albert Raiders. In exchange, they gave the Columbus Blue Jackets Adam Boquist, the number 11 overall pick, a 2021 second round pick and a 2022 first round pick. That is a number one or two pick protected pick. So if they get a lottery pick, it is protected and it becomes a 2023 pick. Then they have unofficially signed Seth Jones to an eight year, $9.5 million per year contract extension that begins after next season. So they gave him all the years and all the money as Stan Bowman always does. So real quick, my summation. I'm oh, glad- and a uh, full no trade clause, by the way. Ah, of course. Well, that's that's par for the course. Here's my <laughs> quick giveaway. Here's my quick takeaway. I'm happy Seth Jones is on the Blackhawks. I'm glad they made the trade. I'm glad they did not have to give up Kirby Doc or, Adam, or Alex Dabrinkit or Lucas Reichel. I think they gave one too many draft picks. I think they gave Seth Jones at least a million and a half too many dollars. If they had given one fewer first round pick and about a million and a half less, I would have been very pleased. But once again, Stan Bowman bidding against himself because it was really only the Hawks or Dallas that reportedly Seth Jones wanted to sign with in the first place. And he went out and gave them everything. But here we are. Seth Jones is a black Hawk. And are they a better day today than they were better team today than they were yesterday? I think the answer to that question is definitely yes. James, looking forward to your thoughts well, on this too. <laughs> well, I guess I can kind of uh, sum it up in a similar fashion to you, and then I think it would probably behoove us to kind of try to break this down into slightly more manageable pieces. I think we can start with the trade, and then we can get into the contracts. But I think if I had to kind of give my thesis statement, my overall thought, um, look, the Blackhawks wanted to go out and get a top pairing defenseman, right? They wanted to go out and get a number one defenseman. The reality of that situation is there are not 32 number one defensemen in the NHL. That is just kind of the way that it is. There's probably 15 or 20 of them. And what Stan Bowman is banking on very clearly is that Seth Jones is one of those 15 or 20. And as such, you had to give him salary that was commensurate with that. And Nine and a half million dollars a season is a lot of freaking money. I definitely understand that. Definitely agree with you. I had kind of pegged his value more in the seven and a half to eight million dollar range, especially the struggles he's had the last couple of seasons. But I think what the Blackhawks are banking on right now is that they have cap space to work with in the future. Seth Jones is only 26 years old, and the Blackhawks are really just looking to make a big splash and to show that they're still a relevant player on the free agency scene in the NHL. They're just, they are not a premier destination right now. I think that that's kind of something that almost should go without saying, but they're not. And so what they had to do, maybe overpay Seth Jones a little bit. Well, what they also did is said very emphatically, they believe he's one of the top 15 or 20 defensemen in the NHL. That's why they paid as much as they did to him to sign him and why they gave up so much to acquire him in that trade. I said when it was initially reported that it was just a swap of first-round picks in Adam Boquist, 
that was a win to me because the Blackhawks, all of those rumors had been Kirby Doc, Alex DeBrinkett, somebody like that. And yes, Adam Boquist has some really good potential, which we are going to get into kind of as we discuss this trade. I have a bone to pick with some uh, folks in the Blackhawks Twitter sphere, but Yes, Adam Boquist is a really solid player, so I thought that value was good. And then when I found out that there was another second-round pick involved this season and a first-round, a conditional first-round pick for next season, then you're kind of questioning, like, look, I get it. Teams will leak stuff selectively to make themselves look good or others look bad. So I'm not going to 100% buy in that the Blackhawks were only negotiating with themselves. But the reality of the situation is, is that not a lot of teams had the freed up salary cap space. That extra first round pick is just really, it, it pains me to see that one go. And I'm just wondering if it was truly necessary or if the Blue Jackets just kind of asked for it and Stan went, you know, we just really want the dude. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, if that's sort of, uh, you know, the uh, Yarmo is sort of like, yeah, you know, I don't know, an extra first round pick would really knock it in. Okay, cool. Let's do it. You know, it's got that feel to it. So Sam Bowman uh, meeting the media as we record here. He says Seth Jones is an impact defenseman who we've been searching for for quite some time to finally add him here is a huge move for our group. It changes the complexion of our defense in particular. We certainly had to pay a price and we wish Adam Boquist well. He has a bright future in the league. We were going back and forth with Columbus for quite a while and it wasn't easy. He also said they were not willing to give up to Brinkett, Doc or Reichel. So those three were untouchable for Stan Bowman. Yeah, and so I guess that's a perfect place then to kind of dive into the trade component of this because I think that it's almost like two separate uh, transactions that you kind of have to look at, right? Like, yes, obviously they would not have given up all of these picks if it were the fact they were only renting Seth Jones for a season. But I think that just for the sake of this conversation, I think it's good to kind of break down each part of this. Right. And we we should start with Adam Boquist because I feel like that's obviously that's the player, the most proven of the commodities, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, that was involved in this trade from the Blackhawks perspective. And I saw a lot of reaction after the trade was completed, um, driven by several uh, projections that had kind of come out, kind of showing that Seth Jones has been on the downside of his career, and then who Adam Boquist kind of favors in terms of who's in the NHL right now, like who he could end up being like. And these projections are guys like Eric Carlson. And mm-hmm. so everybody is kind of spazzing out. Like the Blackhawks give up this incredibly high ceiling defenseman for a guy who's on this downturn in his career. And there are a couple of reactions I have to that. First of all, I don't recall Adam Boquist's fan club being quite so mm. large before he got traded in this deal. So Yeah, there were a lot of nights, James, where I felt like it was just me. There really <laughs> seems to be kind of some revisionist history going on right there, right now with that. And I'm not saying like I hated Adam Boquist or anything crazy no, like that. Course. Don't get me wrong. But I definitely was never of the ilk to say that guy's ceiling is Eric Carlson. It just doesn't. That doesn't seem right to me. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying to really judge the trade on that metric and to say, oh, they traded away the next Eric Carlson. Slow your roll a little bit, guys. He is only 20 years old. He has plenty of time to develop. And I understand the Blackhawks have now done this multiple times, including the Henry Okaharu trade. They seem to be overly willing to pull the plug on young defensemen. That is a completely valid criticism of the Chicago Blackhawks. What I'm not going to sit here and accept is this notion that they traded away a potentially generational talent when that is not at all what Adam Boquist has shown us in his first couple of seasons. And again, 
he could become that. But to just say, like, oh, he could be the next, that's just a very silly way of looking at this uh, trade by the Blackhawks. Look, look, everyone who listens to this podcast, and it's a lot of you, and we appreciate that, as always, knows that I've been a big Adam Quist fan. He was the guy I was really paying attention to this year, and I enjoyed watching. It was really looking forward to seeing him develop, and I said... Look, you remember Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, their first few years were not really great either, and you would never project them to have the kind of careers they did. But that said, guys, if you want to acquire top talent, I'm sorry, but Philip Kurashev and Nicholas Bodan are not going to get it done. You have to give up a prospect of value to get what was considered going into last season a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman. Now, maybe that's a slight overstatement. Maybe he was never truly that good. Fine, I'll have that argument with you, but there's no doubt that Seth Jones going into last year was a number one defenseman. Now, I reached out to someone I know who covers the Blue Jackets just for some context on Seth Jones, and a lot of it had to do with his partner, Zach Wierenski, who was playing most of the season hurt with a sports hernia. It affected their skating as a pair, and Seth would sort of have to wait up for him sometimes, and it really threw off a lot of things to the point where a former coach of the Blue Jackets said that 90% of of Seth's struggles could be attributed to the Wierenski injury. And I know, maybe that sounds like it's me trying to make excuses for him, but whatever, that's what my Columbus source tells me. And I'm going to believe it because I know I've seen Seth Jones play a lot. I know Seth Jones is a really, really good hockey player. You mentioned those graphics that are making their way around the Internet. Guys, you've got to be careful. You can plug in numbers, right, of a player and the machine's going to spit something out. It's not a representation. Everyone, every hockey person I heard talking about this trade today has done nothing but praise Seth Jones total package, good skater, physical, it's got some offense to his game, all around defenseman, number one guy, you know, yada, yada, yada. The guys who are paid to watch and coach this sport love Seth Jones. Those machines are going to spit out bad numbers when you're on a horrible team like the Blue Jackets were granted the Blackhawks are also a horrible team, right? I'm with you. I know. I know it's true, but I'm telling you, Seth Jones is a good defenseman, and he will make this team better. There's no doubt about it. Well, he needs to be better than good, obviously, for $9.5 million a season. But I digress. We're still talking about the trade, and I think that something we mentioned early uh, with Stan Bowman saying that Kirby Doc, Alex DeBrinkit, and um, why am I completely blanking? Reichel. Lucas, Lucas Reichel. Reichel. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Saying that those three were completely untouchable, I mean, that – Going into this, you assumed that one of those three was probably going to have to move as part of this deal, and I think what Bowman did instead was he probably added in an extra draft pick to kind of prevent that from happening, Mm -hmm. which, you know, if that's the case... You, you, obviously, you're looking at a number three pick in the draft in Kirby Doc. You're looking at a guy in Alex DeBrincat who's a perennial 30 to 40 goal scorer. Lucas Reichel, we're going to see him come up to the Blackhawks and potentially can be for a roster spot this fall. Those guys are part of your core moving forward. I mean, you look at the cap friendly page for the Blackhawks beyond the 2022-23 season. They have, I believe it's three players under contract. Jay, you want to take a guess on who those three players are? After the 2023-24 season? 
Is that, so, is uh, that no, 2022, is that, 2023. Okay, so, sorry. I was reading yeah, something so as you asked the question. Yeah, it's two two seasons hence. So, um, yeah, two seasons hence. Well, three Seth players on one. their active roster. Yep. Who are the other two? Um, One of them. Stillman oh, signed a three-year deal. So he's, it, he's it, Riley built. Stillman is one of the three, yes. Um, and obviously there are some restricted free agents that are here as well, but you get the point. Like they're under contract for the 2023-24 season. I don't know the other one. It's Brent Seabrook. That's the final year of his <laughs> oh, deal. God. So ju- just to illustrate the point, though. Just that, to illustrate how long Brent Seabrook's deal was. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm illustri- The point I'm illustrating, obviously, is that the Blackhawks have a lot of flexibility that they're going to be able to wield in those coming seasons. And so being able to get Seth Jones into the fold will also allow them in future years to re-sign guys like Kirby Doc, who's going to hit restricted free agency after next season. Alex DeBrincat, whose contract is going to expire after the 2022 2023 season god those numbers are so hard to say i feel so freaking old um Mm -hmm. but that's the idea though is that they wanted to lock up a potential number one defenseman and they will have that salary cap wiggle room and so obviously i'm not trying to sit here and say oh well the blackhawks you know they they overpaid for they obviously overpaid for seth jones we i think we agree on that but it's not this egregious and horrible thing that's going to keep them from doing anything. They've got a lot of money coming off the books the next two seasons. So I'm going to dismiss, I kind of dismiss that part of the criticism just a little bit that they've somehow hamstrung themselves completely. They will have some room to be flexible. They just have to obviously be very smart with other moves. The one other thing I did want to mention before we kind of start to move away from the trade itself and into the contract, I did want to point out that the Blackhawks, we mentioned this several times on the podcast kind of have a glut of young defensemen right now they've got Riley Stillman as we mentioned they have Ian Mitchell they have Wyatt Kalyuk they have Nicholas Bodan they have Alec Regula they have a lot of guys that need playing time and obviously are going to struggle to get it probably this season because they've got so many vets unless they make another move but the idea is this core is full of young defensemen who can potentially blossom into pretty key roles I'm not saying they're all you know, the next Eric Carlson, sorry, Adam Boquist. No, that's Adam Boquist. But they're, <laughs> but they're they're all there, right? And they're all they all have that ability to potentially blossom into really solid players. And I think that it kind of sells them a little bit short to say that the Blackhawks just keep pulling the plug on these young defensemen. They still have a good number of them in the system. I ran a poll yesterday, by the way, on uh, my Twitter account at Jayzawaski670, said assuming Doc and Debrinkit won't be in the Jones trade, which prospect slash young guy are you most concerned about losing? I said Boquist, Mitchell, Kurashev, or Bodan. Boquist, 46.5% of those votes. Mitchell, 22.4%. Kurashev, 20.6%. Bodan, 10.5%. A lot of the people that just responded said Reichel, 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 Reichel. That was pretty much everybody who did not have him on that poll. And that was sort of, I literally couldn't sleep last night. My brain was just sort of processing everything that I thought could happen today because look a lot of us knew if the Hawks were going to get Seth Jones it was probably happening today right with the first round pick in hand and all those things um the number 11 a pick which is not top 10 by definition but it's still a pretty high pick 
Um, in, a, in a relatively weak draft class, we were told by multiple people that this was one of the weakest draft classes in the last decade. So, yeah, but yes, I, a number 12 pick is going to get you a really good player, but it's not like this draft is just chock full of franchise altering guys. Just it's not one of those drafts. No, I just I spent the night, though, just sort of like Boquist or Reichel. Who do I not want to lose? Boquist or Reichel? And as I sort of look at the depth chart of the organization and considering the fact that they didn't lose to Han or Zadorov, we both assumed, I think everybody assumed, one of those two was going to be chosen by Seattle. That's another thing we got to get into. We're going to have to do another podcast after, like, you know, maybe Monday or something to get, like, all the periphery thoughts out we had that we can't get to tonight. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I feel better about them keeping Reichel. Everything I've heard about him over the last year has been nothing but positive. People are raving about his play, thinking he can come in and be a contributor next year. And I, I do think that it's easier to project a forward than a defenseman. And mm -hmm. I saw a couple of people say it today, and I know it's something that we discussed a lot during the season, that while Boquist is considered this dynamic offensive player, and he is, he's a great passer. He's got a really heavy and accurate shot when he uses it. His speed was always a concern to me. And I don't know if you yeah. can compare Eric Carlson and Adam Boquist when, to me, Boquist looks like his legs are heavy sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know how great his conditioning is. And when I see a guy who's 20 years old with conditioning issues, it makes me question a little bit the work ethic. Is he putting in the work to get in shape and to be the elite player the Blackhawks think he, he could be? And the fact that they moved on from him and did not consider him untouchable when last summer... Maybe they would have. Maybe that. Maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Maybe just sort of looking for why would they choose uh, Reichel over Boquist? That's I'm just right. trying to put myself in the brain of the Blackhawks, and and I can sort of see when you look at some of the trends we saw from Boquist last season and even before then, uh, those were some of the concerns. And I think someone quoted the tweet, and I for the life of me, I wasn't able to find it in the last 20 minutes. The last thing Jeremy Cowton said about Bowman about Bowman about Boquist. And it was a, it was, it was definitely a, a pointed criticism of his conditioning. So, um, who knows? There, yeah. There's stuff that we will never know, right? Uh, this, right. I think, the last couple of weeks have proven that. Uh, there's a lot that happens that we have no idea about. Um, and so, I don't know. Here we are. That's it. Seth Jones is a Blackhawk for the next nine years. Get used to it, Chicago. Yeah, I did want to point out one other thing about Boquist besides the potential speed issues. There is also the concussion concerns, too, and that was kind of something that was brought up before he even came into the NHL, and then he had, an, I believe, another concussion at the end of last season, if memory serves. So that's another thing to kind of keep an eye on with Adam Boquist, too. But A lot of people I did mentioned want to that point to me out, yesterday, yep. Yeah, uh, Columbus, by the way, used the 12th pick, in quotes, on uh, center Cole Sillinger uh, out of the USHL, played for the Sioux Falls Stampede last season. Uh, Sebastian Cosa, a guy that I know a lot of people had kind of circled for the Blackhawks. Yep. If they ended up wanting to go with a goaltender in the first round, went number 15 to Detroit. Jesper Wallstead went number 20 to Minnesota, the other uh, big goaltender out of Sweden. And then Matthew Coronado, another guy that I know a lot of people kind of had their eye on for the Blackhawks since he played for the Steel last season. Number 13 overall to the Calgary Flames. All right, we're going to so, get to the draft pick. We're going to get to the contract next. But first, we're a little bit behind on our ad sponsor, so I don't want to make sure I mention them. And, man, what an asset our buddy Kent Sinson has been uh, throughout this entire investigation. 
He's not really ready to come on the podcast because he doesn't want to <laughs> get himself in any trouble, but he's been great to lean on uh, in terms of this Blackhawks investigation. And I think when things get a little more clear, you'll hear Kent's voice on this podcast. So after over a decade prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County State's attorney, Kent opened his own firm over 20 years ago. He specializes in all forms of personal injury cases, something involving a vehicle, an accident at work, nursing home neglect, drug you know, injuries, things like that. That is Ken's bread and butter, and his firm's results speak for themselves with millions recovered for his clients. Simpson Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. Call for a free consultation, 312-332-2107, or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. Don't go off sides. Go top shelf. Call now. That is the Simpson Law Group, S-I-N-S-O-N, LawGroup.com. Kent is a hockey player. Kent is a hockey fan, and we are very happy and fortunate to have him as part of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. And if you give Kent a call, make sure you let him know you heard about him right here. All right, so the contract. Eight-year deal, eight-year extension, $9.5 million per year. He has one year left, Seth Jones, that is, on a deal that will pay him $5.4 million on the cap next season. So that 9.5 cap hit kicks in in 2022-23. I was sort of thinking about this another thing when I was when I couldn't sleep last night. What number am I comfortable with on an extension? And I stopped at 8. Mm. And I figured I could be talked into 8 and a half. 9 and a half is too much. They overpaid. Yeah. They definitely overpaid on this. Yeah, and I think and obviously we can put all the qualifiers we want on it like the, you know, potential free agent market this off season which is kind of what you have to measure him by just because of the fact the teams were able to go out and acquire him and negotiate the contract this season. I think that kind of has to play into it and then you also have to keep in mind future potential salary cap increases with the fact that they have the money coming in from ESPN and Turner now. I would and obviously COVID, knock wood, isn't going to be around forever. So you're going to have the fan revenue coming in as well. So you would imagine that you're probably going to end up having some increases in the salary cap in coming years, which will make a $9.5 million cap it a little bit more palatable. All of that being said, and I feel like we've been doing that a lot in this podcast so far, by the way, instead of just going hellfire and brimstone and just kind of raining down fury on Stan Bowman for this these moves. We need to stop that right now because I do agree with you that this is still, even with all of that in mind, I think it is an overpay. And the fact that they gave up so many first-round picks to get him, this kind of tells me that you're in a win-now sort of mentality with a contract like this. You give a guy like Seth Jones this contract if you think he's going to kind of be like a Marion Hosa-type player for your team who's just going to be a massive difference maker and push you into that Stanley Cup conversation. I feel like the Blackhawks, for all the talk about rebuilding and things like that, a move like this kind of flies in the face of all of that, and the contract is right there at the center of all of that. That is a massive deal to give out when there is so much uncertainty surrounding the rest of the team. Well, that's why I want to see what happens next, right? I, I, it, it, to me, it's clear that the Blackhawks are not continuing a rebuild. They feel like they've got enough young pieces now to begin the next step of this process, right? You've got to bring kid who's 23. You've got Dylan Strom for now, who's 24. Henrik Borgstrom, who they really like, is 23. Kirby Doc is 20. You got Mike Hardman, who's 22. Kurashev is 21. 
I'm just going up and down the roster here. Remember, Alex Nylander, who needs a new contract, is 23. Pia Suter and also going to be 100% for the start of the season, by the way. Yep. Pia Suter is 25. Brandon Hagel's 22. Adam Gaudet is 24. Riley Stillman's 23. Ian Mitchell, 22. Kalnick, 24. Caleb Jones, 24. Even Zadorov, if they bring him back, is only 26. So you've got... So is Seth Jones. Yeah, you've got the youngest team in the NHL right now. Uh, so I think Stan Bowman is saying, all right, I like what I've built up here in the system. I feel like with Lucas Reichel coming up, he's going to be 19 next season if he's able to play next year. If he comes up and earns it, he'll be another young player on a very young team. I think you've got enough prospects right now. So I'm really interested to see how the rest of this offseason is going to go. At the moment... They've got about $6 million in cap space. That does not include, I don't believe, Seabrook and Shaw's money off the books, which would give them another 10.7. So they still have some money to work with here. It, it, and remember, we saw names like Mark andre Fleury the other day publishing connection to the Blackhawks. They're not done. I think there's going to be another move or two of significance here. Uh, I think some names that we're counting on to be here might be gone. And some names we're not expecting might be in. So this is definitely not the end of the roster. But I think it's very clear that Sam Bowman is ready to begin the next process of this of making this roster competitive. And Seth Jones is the first step towards that. All right. So now, now that we're kind of at this point about next moves, we do kind of have to address a little bit of the elephant in the room, which is them giving Seth Jones this contract and giving up all of the assets required to get Seth Jones to Chicago, why didn't you just keep Adam Boquist and then spend probably similar money on Dougie Hamilton instead? See, that's my question. And I was told by a source moments ago that the Hawks preferred Jones to Hamilton. Fine. If we're talking, and this is an impeccable source, so if that's true and they think Seth Jones is a better player than Dougie Hamilton, I can accept that. However, I don't think Seth Jones is a better player than Dougie Hamilton, Adam Boquist, two first round picks and a second round pick. I don't think that's true at all. So mm-hmm. unless, you know, unless Dougie Hamilton said, I'm not coming into Chicago, I have no interest in playing for the Blackhawks for whatever reason. I don't like the market. I had an ex-girlfriend there that stalks me, whatever the reason might be then that, that's an, that's a valid excuse. If he signs somewhere for less or equal to Seth Jones, that is a big question Sam Bowman's going to have to answer. Yeah. Well, and that was something that I kind of kept trying to bring up to people who kept mentioning that, oh, well, they could have just gone out and signed Dougie Hamilton and all that would have cost them is money. Yes, but Seth Jones wanted to come to Chicago. They knew he wanted to come to Chicago. And yeah, that ends up, you know, raising questions about whether they overpaid, whether they were bidding against themselves, et cetera. The fact of the matter is, if you went into this offseason wanting one of those two guys and struck out on both of them, what the hell would your blue line look like next season? Your top pairing would be Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy. Oh, dear God, Eesh. give me the bleach, and I'm taking a swig. Like, that is awful, dude. So my thinking with that is that, yes, it is going to look real friggin' stupid for the Blackhawks if Dougie Hamilton goes out and signs a deal that pays him around $8 million a season. That's not a great look because I definitely think that he – 
should be making as much or more than Seth Jones. But at the same time, I understand that desire by the Blackhawks to say, look, we've got to get one of these two guys. And it is a pretty weak class in terms of free agents on the blue line in the NHL. And it's not like a lot of teams are willing to part with them via trade. So their options were very limited if they wanted an impact blue liner. And so I can see the logic in making that move and also being afraid that if you don't go out and get Seth Jones, that it ends up being an issue of, well, how the heck are we going to lure Dougie Hamilton here if there are multiple teams who are out there trying to sign him? And there's going to be a lot of – because, look, I the Kraken talked to him and couldn't get a deal done, and you know the Kraken have all the money. So if they, they want all <laughs> the cap space in the world. So that was not an issue for the Kraken at all. So I think Dougie Hamilton is very comfortable saying – on the 28th, I'm just going to put my feet up on my couch, make sure my phone is nicely charged, and sit back and listen to offers. And yep. you're right. It's a huge risk because, again, if the Hawks don't trade for Seth Jones today, they're probably not going to get him, right? Yeah. It kind of had to get done today or else they lose a lot. I mean, they gave up a ton of leverage anyway, but you know what I mean? They sort of lose the chance there, and they probably don't want to wait until the trade deadline to do it. Um, so yeah. And then they're, they're stuck playing a whole season without anything resembling a number one defenseman at all. Like I know Duncan Keith was not Duncan Keith, but like you said, imagine this roster without Duncan Keith or Seth Jones. It's in a really bad spot. Yeah. Um, and I, and again, I do have to continue to kind of come back to this because I know there are probably going to be listeners of ours who are going to be disappointed in the fact that we aren't just completely blasting away at the Blackhawks for this deal. But you and I agree they overpaid in the trade. Yep. I think they gave up too much. I think they overpaid on the contract. You agree with that as well. We're, I think what we're trying to do is kind of what we usually do, where we end up kind of moderating the things that we say because it's so tempting to just kind of get into hot takeville. I like to kind of try to envision the logic behind some of these moves, and I can see where the Blackhawks were coming from with this, even while I disagree with it and really think that they kind of screwed the pooch a little bit in terms of what they gave up. And obviously, if Seth Jones comes out and he's a Norris Trophy contender the next five seasons, I'm going to eat a lot of freaking crow. And I'm going to be satisfied in doing it because that means good things for the Blackhawks. But this is clearly a statement by Stan Bowman that he felt this team needed an impact blue liner. And this was his best opportunity and his best percentage opportunity to make that happen. And he did. So I can disagree with the cost all I want, but the fact of the matter is there is logic here and that's all there is to it. I just, I just don't think it has to be. And this is, you know, the Twitter world. And I know I sound like an old man here, but whatever, it doesn't have to be, this is horrible, or this is the best trade ever. There's great. Oh, you mean area. like the reaction to the Cleveland Guardians today? It's everything, man. Everything has to be all or nothing. I'm very happy the Blackhawks got Seth Jones. I like Seth Jones a lot. I think he's a number one defenseman. I really do. I think he's worth a lot of money. Not as much as they paid him. I think they traded too much to get him, but he's here and I'm happy, right? Like at the end of the day, the people who are pissed at Sam Bowman for giving up this much and are screaming and yelling and tearing the keys off their keyboard are the ones who think Sam Bowman is the worst drafter in the history of hockey anyway. So what do draft picks matter, right? <laughs> so it's it's like you can't have it both ways. 
James and I, throughout the seven years of this podcast, have done a good job, I think, of being balanced and not just flipping over tables and being falsely angry and pissed off. Yes, they overpaid in term, in money, and in assets to get this deal done. It's done, no. He's here, and the Hawks have their number one defenseman of the present and the future. So onward. Here we go. All right, let's take a timeout. We come back. We're going to tell you about the newest Blackhawk, defenseman Nolan Allen. You're listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski out here in Homewood. James DeVoe out there in Kankakee. Kankakee, Illinois. New homeowner, James Naveau. I'm in my new office. First podcast I've done here. Nice. No longer in Bourbon A, the team that just kicked the living hell out of my daughter's <laughs> softball team. Oh, my God. Those girls from Bourbon A can mash. Anyway, we lost 16 to 1. In case you're wondering what the score was. It was not good. Um, Blackhawks. They made a draft pick. We're going to tell you about it. But first... We're going to tell you about the best damn Nashville hot chicken you will ever have. Nashville, Chicago, wherever you are, Fry the Coop gives you the best hot chicken. If they went down to Nashville, they would instantly dominate. You don't have to go that far. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, Tinley Park. Go to frythecoop.com. Check out their menu. It's not complicated. If you like hot chicken on its own, on a bun, on a donut, on a waffle, They've got you covered at Fry the Coop. You want to dine in, they've got great craft beer offerings as well. You're going to love it. If you've not been to Fry the Coop yet, check them out, frythecoop.com. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. And just like when you call Kent Simpson because you fell off a ladder at work, tell Fry the Coop you heard about them on the Madhouse podcast. It helps us out big time. And if you are an advertiser, by the way, and you're looking for some low-cost, hyper-local broadcasting advertising because we are a hyper local podcast we have all of the chicagoland area listening hit me up madhousepod at gmail.com and we can get something figured out very quickly all right so with the 32nd pick that the blackhawks acquired from columbus in the seth jones trade they drafted prince albert raiders defenseman nolan allen mark kelly spoke after the draft pick he is their director of scouting. He said what really stands out about Nolan is his compatibility. Really good teammate. He has a great presence on the ice, but it's the subtleness of his game. He's physical. He blocks shots. He kills penalty, kills penalties and plays hard minutes. Kevin Weeks on the ESPN broadcast compared him to Brent Seabrook. But from everything I've seen, I've not seen it. He's got like zero offensive upside. And Brent Seabrook was a pretty solid def- offensive defenseman in his prime. Yeah, that's been the kind of big knock that I've seen on Nolan Allen as well. He wasn't really on any of our radars because, frankly, we saw every time you look at him, it was an end of second round, early third round type of pick. 
Um, not a lot of people thought that he was going to get picked this high just because of that kind of lack of offensive upside. But everything I keep seeing about him is that he's a very efficient defenseman, plays a really intelligent game in his own end of the ice. And the Blackhawks don't have a ton of guys like that in their system. He's not the biggest guy in the world. I believe he's only six foot two, so he's not going to be running guys over constantly. But if he is a guy that can kind of play some really solid minutes that even strengthen on the penalty kill and is able to defend well and to kind of be that stay-at-home guy, they can find a spot for him in the second or third pairing. I saw somebody say he was more of a third-pairing defenseman, which isn't the thing you want to hear about a player that gets taken in the first round of the NHL draft. But I think if he can be kind of a stay-at-home guy, he'll maybe let his defensive pairing partner freelance a little bit more and I think that can only be a good thing for the Blackhawks and so I think ultimately I'd probably would have wanted to see a little bit more of a well-rounded player than that but I think I can see the logic that the Blackhawks would have in that in terms of wanting to add something their system they don't necessarily have much of. I reached out to our buddy uh, Ryan Wagman who gave us our draft preview when we thought the Blackhawks would be picking 11th in the draft Uh, obviously uh Nolan Allen was not on that episode, so I reached out for a brief scouting report. Really want to thank Ryan Wagman from McKean's Hockey for doing this. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at R.A. Wagman. On draft night, Ryan took some time out to send us a Nolan Allen scouting report. Here it is, Ryan Wagman of McKean's Hockey. Nolan Allen is, I think, a bit of a reach for Chicago at the end of the first round. I mean, this is a weird draft, and in a normal year, we might have thought differently of him, um, you know, considering Allen only played 16 games in the regular season for Prince Albert, but he only had two points. He is clearly, and he's always been a stay-at-home defenseman. Um, you know, he played for Team Canada at the World Under-18s, and he did a solid job there, but, uh, you know, while he can have a long career in the NHL, and his type of, of player does tend to have a long career if he makes it, the ceiling is going to be limited. Uh, he's got good size, good reach, excellent mobility. Uh, he's physically intense. He's efficient and consistent in the defensive end. Um, you know, what, what I think Chicago likes about Allen is his four-way mobility. Um, his stride is strong. His pivots are very good and efficient. Um, so he's very good, you know, defending, defending the puck, the, the game in transition. Um, he steps up quickly to kind of challenge attackers when they try to enter the zone. Um, you know, he specializes in forcing dump-ins. Right, because it's hard to get around him. So uh, you know he, he's he's you know very actually he's very good at getting to that loose puck. I mean he's not a waste of a pick. Right? I don't want to suggest that he's uh, somebody who can't play in the NHL. He's just somebody who's, he's not going to excite very many people. Um, you know we give him decent grades around this game. It's just that he's never showed much of anything in the offensive end. Right, and, that, and that's where I think we we look at a lot of players in terms of what they can do. Uh, when his team has the puck, he doesn't have much puck skill. You know, he can kind of get past that first line of, of the four check to kind of get the puck out. But once the puck gets out of his own zone and onto the the stick of a teammate, his uh, involvement in the play diminishes. Um, you know, it's possible there's more there. Again, this has been a very weird season for everybody, but him playing in Canada and the WHL, they played a very short season. And, um, you know, so his season was limited to those 16 games with Prince Albert and then another was it seven or eight games for Canada at the under-18 championship. So it's, you know, not a lot to go by. Um, he, I think he definitely will play in the NHL. It's just, you know, he, he's not taking over, uh, you know, Duncan Keith in his prime, right? You know, if, if he's lucky, he's taking over Nick Chalmerson in his prime. 
and that's uh, that, that's the the highest of high end comparable I can probably um, give to Chicago fans for Nolan Allen. Look, if Nolan Allen becomes Nicholas Jalmerson, then he's worth a first round pick. But <laughs> Ryan is saying that is the absolute max, and the odds of him reaching right. that potential are slim, as it is for any prospect, right? Like, how many of them reach the actual? Every draft is like, well, this kid. I'll tell you what. I know he was just drafted twenty third overall, but he reminds me of Mario Lemieux. <laughs> it's just like it just never happens and by the way this was not in a report when ryan and i were talking he said he had nolan allen 89th on the mckean's yeah. draft board so i asked him what about kirby doc's brother colton there was a lot of smoke around that that would have also been a reach he had colton doc at 57 so yeah. just so you guys know tomorrow the hawks pick 62nd that's their next pick so if Colton yes. Doc is still there, that's a name to keep an eye on. He has sort of skyrocketed up draft boards here because he had a really great season uh, with the Saskatoon Blades last year. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. But I thought if they were going to go off the board in the first round, it would have been for Colton Doc, not for right. 89th ranked Nolan Allen, who was kind of like, I always love when the panels caught off guard where they're like, um, th I was not expecting this, but they were all still reeling uh, from the Montreal pick as well before that, which was ridiculous and absurd and just terrible but ugh, yeah man if you miss Again, that I'm, by I'm the way very i'm being very careful about casting stones on uh, hey, issues of morality right dude now. you and i do not work for the blackhawks we do not have to answer for the blackhawks i'm, our I'm job, aware of that our job is to hold them accountable and i think we've done a good job of that we're going to get into this disgusting uh brad alder situation on our next episode for sure but if you missed it the canadians uh 31st overall drafted logan mayu who uh released photos of a girl uh against her uh not against her wishes but she didn't know he was doing it and um he pulled himself out of the draft which you can't really do and the canadians took him anyway so this hockey culture thing continues it's not just here it's all over which is a nice yeah. opportunity for me to plug our buddy Evan Moore's book again. <laughs> you know, go order Evan's book because uh, yeah. he's got a lot of good ideas on how to fix this culture problem um, because it's done. It, it needs to be done. The book's called Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It. It comes out in October, but you can order it now anywhere books are sold. So, yes, Trina Shaw also wrote that with him, by the way, Jay. Yes, thank you. you. Better include her. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> Evan's my guy. Evan's my um, buddy, I, so I always just I default. I'm sorry. I, yeah, 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 totally. And he, and he was awesome when he came on the podcast. Can't wait to have him on again to talk about the book. But uh, just looking at this pick, I have two theories on this. One, the Blackhawks were irritated because Chase Stillman got taken, Riley Stillman's brother, so they weren't able to take a high-ranking defensive brother like they maybe wanted to and have the Stillmans and the Joneses both on the team at the same time and so they just kind of went with this pick or they had just done all their homework for the 44th overall pick which they originally had and then sent to Columbus maybe they decided yeah we were to take Allen with the 32nd pick or the 44th pick let's just go ahead and take him at 32 and call it a day I guess it's really hard for me to figure out like I always feel like I felt like Reichel was kind of a reach too Right? I think we had the same reaction last yeah. year. Like, oh, they could have gotten him later. They could have traded down. And then time goes by. You're like, oh, that was actually kind of a good pick. Even Doc was kind of considered a reach. Remember? There are a lot yeah. of people that wanted well, I different also, people in that spot. I wanted <laughs> Bowen Byram. I'm not going to be shy about it. Me too. So did I. 
But I, I think a lot of people were looking at Doc. All, like five, all I know six, is seven. that two of the guys that I was, yeah, I, I was just going to say I was kind of uh, hoping that either Corson Kuhlemans or Carson Lambos would kind of drop to the Blackhawks at 32, and then they promptly went back-to-back to Columbus and Minnesota. So the Blackhawks did not get an opportunity to do that. No, they did not. Well, it's over. The, the day is over. Fortunately, uh, you and I can head off to bed and get ready for day two of the NHL draft, which starts at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. I'm sure if you've listened to this before then, we really appreciate your loyalty because this thing's not going to be up till like 12.30 a.m. by the time I'm done editing it and putting it together. So thanks, as always, for checking out the podcast. Make sure you tell a friend. Make sure you retweet our stuff on Twitter. Everything helps. We can use your help in promoting the podcast. So make sure you do that. Make sure you support our sponsors. And we'll talk to you very, very soon on the next episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sits In Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.